Welcome to Anti-Racism for Lunch, where I, Sandra, a Black woman, and I, Kat, a white woman, have real dialogue about race where we are taking a bite out of racism one conversation at a time. So grab your lunch, sit back, and join our conversation. Three, two, one. Welcome back to Anti-Racism for Lunch. Today we're talking about tone policing and how it shows up in our lives. And we're joined today by a guest and friend, Prasad. Prasad, would you like to take a few minutes to introduce yourself? Hi, um, thank you for inviting me to this uh, podcast. I've been listening to some of the episodes. It's wonderful, I'm really uh, thankful. Um, so let's see, what would I say about myself? I'm a South Asian immigrant to the United States. I've been here around 30 odd years or so. I probably, um, in terms of you know what we're talking about, been a racial justice activist for a long time, um, also a labor rights activist, and um, a nuclear abolitionist. It's probably how I would describe myself and how I have in the past. So thank you, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for joining us. So the question of the day is, what is tone policing and how does it show up in our lives? Uh, so if you would ask me what tone policing is, tone policing is the way uh, that conversation can be controlled by non-white people. So if I deliver a message, it's... By non-white people? Sorry, by white people for non-white people. Uh, it's like how to package the message. So not just what I say, but how I say it. Or the only way you, someone can hear my message is if I deliver it in a package that's nicely wrapped, soft, um, kind, and I put air quotes around kind because that's kind and nice are typically terms that are used when your message is being policed. I think, I think that's the, the short of what tone policing is. And one of the consequences of tone policing is when you're trying to say something, right? All yes. the attention goes to how you're saying it and not the actual content of the message you're trying to deliver. So that just goes out the window. The message typically goes out the window because uh, focusing on a lot about for me, how to deliver the message. So I, this comes up often. So I often have this warning sign that I keep in my pocket about don't come off as the angry black woman. So mm -hmm. every, every day in every situation, that's probably my first go-to card. Like when I'm getting ready to say something or getting ready to discuss something or challenge something, it's like, you got this card in your pocket. You know, at any moment in time, someone's going to raise their card. They have that card in their pocket and say, this is who you are. So when I'm delivering a message that plays first and then I try to deliver the message very calmly um, I don't know that I always win that battle with myself but it's a constant battle when delivering um, important sometimes charged challenging messages especially as a leader like managing folks leading groups um, the packaging and everything like sometimes to the extent of am I really being me uh, how much policing of myself am I doing tone policing is you know can be self-detrimental because then now I'm policing myself so that someone else isn't policing what I'm saying I had a 
I used uh, a word self-surveillance. We're always being surveilled. When, once you speak up and somebody decides that your tone was off, then they, then you feel like the next time you're in there, then you're being surveilled. Uh, your speech is being surveilled and you're aware of it. And, and so, I mean, you can actually visibly see it sometimes, right, in the meeting. What's it look like? Um, first, the first attempt you typically is to ignore what you said and move on. And you say, okay, I said something and they just moved right on. Uh, or the, or I was in a meeting once with, with my workplace <laughs> and they're talking about, you know, we have learning outcomes for, for, this, for these courses we teach and they're using things like cultural competence and social justice in the learning outcomes. And I say, you know, we should define these words for faculty who are trying to put course syllabi together that meet these learning outcomes. They need to have a sense what cultural competence means. And the response from one other person that went unaddressed by anybody else in the meeting was, this is why Prasad bugs everybody. So it's like in a minute to try and wow. completely, I'm talking about let's talk, let's, you know, we should have some guidelines, what cultural competence means so that people are putting their syllabi and let the course content together can do this. And he says, and this is why Prasad bugs everybody. And I thought, wow, that's one way to silence me. So it's not even just about the way I said it because I was thought I was being very polite mm -hmm. with air quotes, but but it was also about I wanted to bring in maybe a, a, a more serious. I thought I was bringing in a more serious conversation that people would be, an important point, an important point. And then I was so it was to swat aside the content in that minute by by basically referring to me as bugging people, which I see also as one of those examples of tone policing. Like, okay. You were personally dismissed. Personally dismissed, yeah. Which kind of is like then dismissive of anything else you might raise. Well, this is why Prasad bugs everybody. So er everything that comes out of Prasad's mouth is going yeah. to bug somebody. And there are like He's 15 people dismissible. Right. Anything that comes out of Prasad's mouth is dismissible. So I was forced to respond. No one, no one jumped in then. And one person jumped in later in the email and was uh, and got hit back also, and um, so I just had to say, well, if I guess, <laughs> I went back and I said, I guess if I'm annoying whoever it was, I must be doing something right. That was my moment of sort of self-preservation. In retrospect, it's not what I wanted to say, but in that moment, I had to say, well, if I am an annoying this person, I must be doing something right. Um, so. I think, and you know, when when we talk about tone policing, certainly I have experiences where I've been passionate in a conversation, and um, but I'm thinking about specific situations right now. But really, I mean, like a white woman gets her own stereotypes as well, but they're not racialized, and we don't, you know, as a white woman, I'm not going to deal with the same kind of tone policing that either of you are. Um, but if I'm talking about race. Then it becomes, then there's like, I, I get a definite sense that it's become racialized. Like, I, oh, I'm like one of those, like, you know, white bleeding heart liberals and dismissible, like in the same kind of way. But I don't get, of course, the angry black woman trope stereotype. Um, I probably get, yeah, I get the, you know, the raging white liberal, whatever label. What would you say your label is? Do you get a label? Oh, totally. Um, has been said to me many times. I'm a bomb thrower. 
That a bomb thrower. Yes, I am a bomb thrower. That particular phrase has been used multiple times from people, including people who are who were like friends or trusted colleagues, and mostly it's happened at work. But that's like, oh, Prasadia is the bomb thrower. Sometimes they say it because they want me to speak up, and other times they say it because I did speak up. But in either case, I've been a, you know, of course I'm sitting there thinking the worst thing that can happen to me is is that when I speak to be, if I'm classified as a bomb thrower, then that's the easiest way to dismiss everything that I say. Because right, we're just going to blow everything up. I'm just going to blow everything up. As opposed to, yeah. How does that particular label connect to your racial or ethnic identity? Do you see a connection there? I, I see not so much to my particular racial or ethnic identity. Um, no, I, I see it more from it, it really is about the fact that there's a sense of what polite conversation ought to be and I'm breaking those norms. Well, I didn't set those norms and those norms were put in place to stop people from, I think in many cases, to stop people from having those deeper conversations and challenging some of the things. That, and so, oh, he's a bomb thrower. Okay, well, that means we are trying to build something here and here he comes in trying to destroy it. So not necessarily related to my racial ethnic identity, though I think some of the people who say it should be worried about what it says of their racial and ethnic identity to be a, to even use that, use that imagery of right. bomb throwing. But it has been used multiple times and and it um, and it of course it bothers me. I mean to me it has like terroristic overtones to call you a bomb thrower. Oh absolutely well and within this context for sure. It's just it's it's um, it, in all the years that it's been used at my workplace, I would just say. Um, yeah. It's interesting that you get the bomb thrower label. I think I'm the one. I'm the. <laughs> I am the one that is like anti everything. Um, conflict instigator, um, and I have, to, and that's everywhere, right? But I, I can own that because I do. Sometimes I challenge things even when I agree with them because I do believe that the best answer has to be challenged, right? Like if mm -hmm. we can't assume we have the right answer just because we all agree. And even if I agree with you, I'm gonna bring up the other side because I wanna make sure that we're making the right choice or the right decision. So I think people that work for me are just realizing that. Like every time we ask something, Sandra always brings up the negative or she always brings up the other, you know, the anti to whatever we're doing. It's like, and I'm gonna to continue to do that because how do we know we have the right answer? It's a, it's a, I, I don't want to say it's a problem, but I noticed it this week. We were making a decision on some policy change or not even a policy change, a practice change. And so the question was, so Sandra, what do you think about that? Like, I don't have any thoughts right now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? You always have thoughts. And it took me a moment to realize that they were waiting for me to say, but what about this? Or yeah. Did we think about that? Not do we think about that or usually, but what about this? And I didn't in that meeting because I was shocked that I actually got called out on it. Like, and what do you think? Which doesn't typically happen. They usually are trying to keep me quiet, not actually pull me in. Have you ever been called a con contrarian? Maybe not directly. Okay. I have had that happen too. And I say, that actually is an insult. I'm not in the least bit being contrarian. And that's another way to sort of dismiss what I have to say is that he's always, he's a contrarian. And I'm thinking, no. 
I don't think I've ever even heard that word used until it came out of your mouth just now. <laughs> yeah, uh, let me just say, I'm not entirely sure I pronounced it correctly, but that's just my immigrant, whatever. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it's that, um, but to be called a contrarian, really, I find it very insulting, probably even more insulting than bomb thrower in some funny, perverse sort of ways. It's just completely, is that the minute I speak, you know, bomb thrower is really trying to say that I'm being very provocative. And it, to some extent, I am being provocative, um, not to provoke a reaction, but, but rather to, to, to provoke a different understanding of what is being discussed. Well, but to here, dig into the topic to dig and in, see, yeah, to like, are there some, some alternative thinking Absolutely. here that we should be looking at? But contrarian is just like, I am opposed to everything. So I have not been called a contrarian, but I am opposed to everything, Prasad. I mean, yeah, that's a perception. That's, that's a perception. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And, and yeah, it's, uh, I'm because, a, again, another way to dismiss. Yeah. I am opposed to everything that has been, the way things have been built. Um, and my sole purpose is to dismantle what's working well. It's so interesting. So like we're talking about time policing, but we're like kind of talking about something a little different too. And it's like, um, it's not necessarily tone. It's like that you can't even speak without being viewed as a negative force in the conversation in some way. Yes, and, and so what that, is that? I mean, does that have a name? Like even to speak, like before there's even any tone to your voice. I, so when, I think that when, Emphasize, I'm gonna say that we, we have like, like motivation, like when you're actively trying to seek out equality or like just or right ways of living and doing I think you right now you have to dismantle systems to have that happen and I think the dismant the thought of Sandra is actively trying to tear things down yeah which is not untrue it's true I am actively trying to tear things because down working. correct <laughs> I, I'm trying to tear them down so that they're right for everyone mm -hmm. so so it's actually like a protection of white supremacy standards, culture, characteristics that you're trying to deconstruct and the suspiciousness of even talking recognizes that you're trying to dismantle that. It's like a protective. Yeah, I don't think they, I don't think they I'm see it sure that way. I'm sure it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they see it that way, but that, I think that's what it is. I think that's why, in my case, it being the, the negative force or the anti-organization and it's like, well, I'm not trying to tear it all down. I'm trying to tear down this wall that's been blocking this pathway and doesn't have to. Just because it's been there all this time doesn't mean it has to stay there. Well, it's interesting because I remember being on the white side of this where um, the person of color was viewed with suspicion, right? Anything they said, like, uh -huh. oh, you sure. know, oh, what's, well, I'll use your name. What's Sandra got to say? What's Prasad going to say about this? Um, and and it and the the effect became worse when more than one person of color were sitting together quote you know air quotes in the cafeteria and i was like ooh what are they talking about it's almost like are they going to overthrow us they're gonna, they're staging a coup there's like this like this suspiciousness that develops i hadn't thought of this word until this moment loyalty and disloyalty mm -hmm. There's, there's, there, that's... To the status quo. To the status quo. Whatever the status quo. You speak out 
you're being disloyal. And so, of course, I, uh, you know, I always come back to my workplace as, as a place where a lot of conflicts sort of play themselves out. It's also a training ground in many ways. Um, but yeah, there's the whole question is, okay, we are, we are a place with these values and for anyone to question them, they're being disloyal as opposed to the idea that, oh my God, they're questioning this. Let's think about what they're saying. Maybe it'll make us be better. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that you say that too, because the values, I'm going to take a shot in the dark here, say one thing. Yes. But the way that people are living into those values is not necessarily true to the values as they're written. I mean, that's how they are in my organization, like equity and leadership and learning for all. Let's just say it's something of that nature. Equity is the first thing for all. And it's like, if if all can't walk through this door because there's no steps or there's no pathway, then how is it for all? Um, and a, so a question like that would be like, but it's always been this way. Why are you causing problems? Like, well, you got 19 people out there that can't even make it through the door. I got accused of, in, on more than one occasion, of trying to undermine my workplace by raising issues. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open about this. I don't mind saying it, but at my university, we, we, are, we strongly believe in anti-racism and in immigrant rights. That's kind of the guiding values of some of the, of some of the founding sponsors of our university. But on the other hand, we are one of the 25 centers of excellence for the Department of Homeland Security. And I'm saying, wait a minute, does anybody notice this glaring contradiction between taking money from the Department of Defense or the Department of Homeland Security and how they've been treating migrants at the border and then our stated goal value of, of you know, supporting Im immigrant rights and immigrants and the humanity of immigrants. There is actually, I'll say this, there is no polite way to say this stuff. One has to just say it. Has to say, has to, one has to just lay it out and I just lay it out and the minute I do it, the response is, okay, now you're talking about things that have sustained our university or, or that, that you know we get this money in and we really need to think about how we say these things. And I'm thinking, no, you really need to think about what you're doing as opposed to how I'm pointing out what you're doing. So and, not in alignment. Yeah. And then you are now tone policed. That's the tone policing. That is. Yes. <laughs> right. We have to be careful about how we say these things. Stifling of speech is really, for me, that's one of the things. This is, right. tone policing is a way to stifle speech that does not fit into this polite norms established, this very narrowly constructed set of norms for conversation of any kind or expression of any kind. It's not just conversations, any kind of expression. It is, but like as we've unpacked in this conversation, it's, I, th I think the underlying piece here is the interrupting of the status quo. And it's packaged as, you know, it's just how you're saying it. If you just said it more nicely, then um, we could have this conversation about interrupting the status quo. Absolutely not. It still wouldn't happen, no matter how nice you say it. Yeah, right. How do you say something that's charged nicely? What makes it nicely? Is it the volume? Is it the speed? Do we have to? Well, then there's that. Yeah. Why does it have to be nice? I mean, on one hand, we've got people being terrorized, you know, at the border or something. I'm using that example again. 
Public Act 42 or something like that, being used to deport people, people on horses whipping, you know, migrants from Haiti or something like that, or chasing after them. And you see that, um, or death at the border. And then somehow I have to be nice when I ask this question of how we are complicit in that system because we get all this money. I don't know that I need to be nice. I need to be actually enraged. I need to have, I need to lean into my sense of this injustice that is occurring and and ask i i mean we live in this city which passed an anti-racist racism resolution and uses the names of george floyd and brianna taylor and so on well if you're going to use those names of people who have been murdered and i think you need to have a sense of what is the what is the scale or the scope of your commitment to anti-racism if you're going to use that as the springboard for what you claim to be anti-racism. And there's no nice way to say it. Don't bring those names up. Don't use those names to say you're anti-racist and then, you know, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. There's no nice way to say it. Sometimes it's important not to be nice. But I don't, I don't mean to go in and say, just, we're all going to scream our lungs out. No, but it's about... It's about, you know, we put our, I know we, we all share this, we just put so much pressure on ourselves to speak from a sense of justice and to speak for a preservation or, or for the building of a different future. We're already under tremendous pressure to do that because we're trying to safeguard a different vision while we're speaking or writing or whatever. And then you get, and then you find that people, no, we don't care about that. It's how you said what you said and the words that you used or the decibel level of your voice that is of real consequence to us and we're not going to listen to you anymore. And that's, that's the part that sucks because we have an important message or we have an, a pressing message and as soon as the decibel level or the inflection or what, they cons what someone considers tone, as soon as it's not what how they want to hear something they stop hearing it they only see or hear the level the speed the tone the inflection of your voice and then all the things you've said in that moment are not heard yeah and i you know for some for people who may be like new to the concept of tone policing i was thinking about like what you know i said there was a stereotype that i could get but I was trying to think if there's one for white men. Like when a white man is angry, right? Or passionate, or speaking loudly. Is there any negative stereotype associated with that at all? Well, I can, can remember Trump saying that he could well, go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. Well, Trump is a great example. And there's... A lot of the people, you know, view that as strong. That's the yeah. that's the descriptor that goes strong, um, you know. Take chances, kind. Of, I mean, there's like mm -hmm. the, those are the kind of descriptors that go along with that type of communication. Knows what they want, unafraid to say it, unafraid to ask the tough questions. Right? Those are all the leadership qualities that we talk about. Yeah. I can't think of a negative, I mean, other than, you know, 
<laughs> my view of Trump is certainly a negative one. But I can't think of like a negative one that is like directed towards white men for speaking in mind. Well, because we were, we're still building it by challenging that, right? We, it's, it's about, it's not just about speaking their mind. I mean, white men have been speaking their mind for the longest time, but the fact that they have used that as a hammer against anybody, any other voices. So there's no negative because their voices are the only ones that have been allowed for so long. So they wrote the narrative. They wrote the narrative. They constructed the rules right. for engagement. And it's only now that we're sort of, sort of trying to challenge that. And yeah. Um, I mean, even now in, in this, this era of challenging the systems, the ways, all of that, I mean, they're still, they're still at the top of the top of the chain. So it, even when I look at it and I tried to explain this to uh, one of the women at work, we're trying to dismantle from within using the rules from within. And this tone policing is like one of the rules because I'm, I mean, I believe in that public education, but I also believe that it's not working for everyone, has never worked. It's working the way that it was designed to work. And I do believe in my heart of hearts that you can't fix something in a broken system. Sometimes you just got to start outside and build a whole new one. Um, but yeah, the I system's not meant to work for you. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's hard to get people to realize that. Like, no, it's not working. Yes, we need to educate our, our youth. Sometimes we can't work within the confines of the rules that were written. Sometimes we got to step outside and just start from scratch. But that's a Something scary there. thought. It is a scary thought. Well, um, to be. Yeah. So when I tried to explain this concept to her, it it was like, <laughs> I think she lost like all like melanin because she was just like, I couldn't imagine. Like, these are the rules. Like, what happens if we do this? What happens if we do that? It's like, yeah, this is why you... I hate to say it, you're not ready. Like I'm in certain areas. It's like now is the time. Like just do it. And so, I mean, she's at work, and she had a point she wanted to make, but she didn't make it because she had been tone policed, and she carries the angry black woman. She hasn't. Her card isn't in the pocket. When people see her, it's like, oh, that's her. Yeah. And it's like, well, you already have it. Just own it. But that's me, right? That I can do that. I can walk through the halls and be like, it's. You already call me that, so I'm not going to try to package it softly. I'm right. like, you actually have the freedom to just say the things now because you already own it. Already I, it. Yeah. <laughs> like me, I'm like on the fence of like, they haven't said it yet. I know what's in their pocket. So I walk this line. I'm like, but they already, they already labeled you. So just do it. Don't. Yeah. I've, I've certainly faced that. Um, just the other one thought that I was in, a, I was in a meeting once again and and uh, somebody else in the meeting it was in, it was at my university again and w one person said refers to a group of people as pansies and I'm like okay you know what's amazing is that I my my hackles just rose I just kind of I but I got shell-shocked to be honest and I didn't say anything so then the meeting ended and I'm just just tuning over the fact that I didn't say anything so I send out an email and I followed that idea that these people are unaware. Not only the person who said it, but people around me. Uh, I was the only person of color in the meeting. Everyone around me, just we're all, we're unaware maybe of this. So I did what I thought was very reasonable, civil, you know, good tone. 
I said, oh. I just want people to know that this word, um, and he, I put out a dictionary definition, is a very offensive term. When used to refer to people, it's a highly offensive term. And this is the fascinating thing. It's the, the one, the person who was leading the meeting wrote back saying, well, that's one of the glories of free speech. So I'm thinking, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> this is free speech um, that you can just offend somebody. And, uh, and then the person who wrote the, com who made the comment in the meeting said, so what's your point? And uh, for somebody who always referred to me by my first name, this time he chose to refer to me by my last name. So what's your point, Venugopal? You can come to my office and I will offend you further. That was his response. And I'm like, okay, we're talking hostile environment here. But just to go back to the idea of just raising something in the most polite right. way. Right. You just challenge somebody's right to offend other people. A white man's right to offend other people. And, yeah. and, uh, and this is the blowback. Yeah. And the irony of the whole thing was that I had to then defend him in a conversation with my, with the dean. The pansy dropper? Yeah. <laughs> you I had actually, to defend him? I actually had to defend him from a sense of justice because I was asked with, with the, one of my bosses, I said, you know, you and I see eye to eye on this. Maybe we should invite him into the meeting, into a meeting with the two of us and we should explain to him what was wrong about what he said. And I said, no. He's going to walk into this meeting and he's know he's being ganged up on, first of all. So he's not going to learn anything. And it's not my job. I'm, I'm at the same level as him. You're his boss, as much as you are my boss. Don't drag me into this problem to also find a solution that you ha to a problem you have with him. I just pointed out what was going on. So I actually had to defend his right to not be ganged up on by two people who, who thought the opposite way of him thought what he said was offensive and derogatory. And I thought that's a remarkable, I was actually proud of myself for doing it, but <laughs> it's a remarkable position to be in. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> You're probably not the only one who's been in that position too. No, no. And I distinctly remember, I got to act from a point I do remember doing that, being intentional about it, which is why I bring it up, is that I had to think about what's the right thing to do, what's, what's the just thing to do, and what was unjust seemed like, let's call this guy in and ream him out for what he said. No, there's no learning experience in that. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want that to happen to me, to have people all show up and say, okay, we're going to do an intervention here. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to shout at you. And... Well, that's probably a good segue into what is the learning experience. Like what, what's the takeaway today for today's conversation? What takeaway would you suggest for, for folks listening? Our guiding question was what's tone policing and how does it show up in our lives? Which we kind of went underneath to find the interrupting the status quo being at the root. I think if you're if if you feel like you have the place to interrupt to continue to interrupt like um like the one um person at work that I told her like you're already labeled just walk with it like if you uh and I know it's easy for me to say because I'm not already labeled 
And I do walk like this fine line of trying to avoid being labeled on one day and then on the other day I'm like, skip it. If they label me, they label me. Um, but I think you strand, you should stand firm in your conviction. If you know what's wrong, I think you just say it's wrong, right? Um, and I know it sounds easier said than done because sometimes the repercussion from saying it's wrong can be heavier than just letting things slide. But I think it's again, weighing out those risks and if it's worth the risk, so if it's worth the risk, take it. I mean, mm -hmm. I think if it's worth the risk, you take it. Yeah. Certainly I would say as a South Asian male that I come from a society that's been very patriarchal and so breeds this kind of sort of the tone policing, the use of power to, to enforce certain rules of conversation and discourse, um, written or verbal. And I certainly would, would say what I've learned from it is, one, we have to speak up, but we have to be intentional. Um, and also, more importantly for me, and my journey has been to listen carefully to what other people are saying. Um, and to make sure that it's not just me that's being tone policed, but to watch out when other people are being tone policed and to point that out also. To say, you can't do this. We gotta, we gotta speak the truth and we gotta, and we gotta find ways to do it. We gotta recognize if we have any privilege, male privilege, South Asian privilege in, a, in, in this racialized society, then we gotta use that privilege to speak out, be intentional. And I think people just need to pay attention to when tone policing is going on and, 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 uh, and lean into breaking the tone policing environment for each other. Yeah, I would have to add on to that. Like for white folks, I think it's, um, well, one, it's the suspiciousness. Um, it, it, it always comes down to more self-awareness for mm -hmm. white people. You need to recognize, you know, how you're viewing people and um, just really see people for human beings and listen to what they're saying. And if you're thinking it all to yourself, well, if they just said it this way or if they just, if, 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 um, then you, that's a sign right, right there that you're tone policing yourself, that you are tone policing. So you need to recognize your signs for when you're tone policing so that you can pause that in the moment and then listen to the content of what people are telling you. And you might also think to yourself, well, this person of color in front of me likely has experiences where the system doesn't work. <laughs> so they have some really good insights and input that could be useful to the conversation. Um, the other thing about tone policing is sometimes you know, there's a, there's a delicate balance, I think, between making sure you're not tone policing, but also interrupting someone else's tone policing and moving into white explaining. Like, so Prasad, if you're talking and I see someone else like shutting you down, I can't insert myself into the conversation and say, well, what Prasad's really trying to say is, um, which isn't effective and it's harmful to Prasad. But instead say, hey, I really want to hear what Prasad has to say. And then turn your whole body and your whole energy toward Prasad to show everyone else in that grouping that this is important to you. Would be a really positive thing that you can do in the, in the moment. 
if I may just say one more thing, and that is that I think people should, when we call for civility in our conversations and somebody breaks the norm, the opposite of civility is incivility or uncivility. I don't know which one it is, but we're Anarchy. Well, but see, the thing is that I think people are being, a, when you break that norm of that narrowly constructed rules of civility that were especially set up by white males, hundreds of years and it's part of this history of this country but when you break that norm effectively the charge being laid against you when they call you rude or uns is, is that you're uncivilized mm-hmm. and and that's a I mean that's a charge of that's a colonial mentality right. right there to to see to other somebody and to to say you're uncivilized you're being uncivilized in this conversation well, that, yeah, that's related to like intelligence and everything. Cult- and of course, yeah. you know, it was built into the founding of this country. I don't know whether people like to hear that or not, but so people should, whenever the conversation comes up about, you know, the, well, that conversation is not a very civil conversation, then I think we need to ask ourselves who is being called uncivilized in the conversation and how is it manifesting itself? Because I think racism always demands, one of the ways it manifests itself is to demand a particular kind of civility. Not a respect, but a civility. Mm-hmm. Brings up ideas for the next conversation. But we're not gonna name them now because <laughs> it might change. <laughs> so thanks for joining us for the conversation oh, today. Oh, it's Prasad. wonderful, I so enjoyed it. We enjoyed having you here. And we'll see Thank you next time. If what you heard today sparked your thinking about your own racialized experiences, we invite you to share it with friends and family and start conversations in your networks too. Have a question you'd like us to tackle? Email us at antiracismforlunch at gmail.com. No hyphen. Thanks. We hope you'll join us again soon.